I should just tell you by way of introduction, now that I'm retired from being a Presbyterian preacher, I have time to write books, and I've actually just last year finished, uh, I think it's number eight book. I've had quite a number published by Evangelical Press. This one I finished last year, and it's called Great Gospel Issues. And that brings us to where I am this morning, because when I was writing this book, I had a question that I needed to answer before I wrote the final chapter. And and that's simply this, what should the last chapter say in a book that's called Great Gospel Issues? I've already had 24 chapters of really great gospel issues. So how do I finish? In the light of all those truths of the gospel, I had to work out, is there any summary wisdom that embraces all those truths? Is there an overarching truth that will keep Christians, you and I are Christians, stable, mature, and properly focused? What will provide uh, the right spiritual perspective for our lives as gospel believers? What will help us to stand firm against the endless flood of religious folly, the latest fads and vanities which are doing the rounds of churches? And let me tell you, as a reasonably experienced preacher, minister and pastor, there is an endless flood of rubbish ideas going through the churches of the world, not only in this country. So what will keep us from being gullible and falling for these things? What will stop us from being naive? Otherwise, we will plunge, like many Christians do, into these what I call various isms, legalism, pietism, emotionalism, Fanaticism, there's all sorts of varieties of all those things. And I believe the answer is what you're reading there right now. You are complete in Christ. If you, this is the teaching of the Bible, if you have Christ, friends, you have everything. You don't lack a single thing. Conversely, if you have everything else except Christ, you have nothing. That's the teaching of the Bible. You are complete in Christ and you are bankrupt without Him. One of our favourite passages, I'm guess, would be Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What's it say? I shall not lack anything. And how does it finish up? My cup overflows. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I'm telling you nothing new. I'm just telling you an out, a New Testament version now of Psalm 23 and many other things. Let me say this to you. Nothing can make you closer to God than you already are in Christ. Nothing. Nothing can make you safer with God than you are already are in Christ. Nothing can make you more loved by God than you already are in Christ. You're complete in him. And so you and I must ignore anyone who tries to seduce us with all these extras beyond Christ. I mean, Satan still produces these extras every day. They're flooding into churches all around the world. They call them things like second blessings, third blessings, or anything extra. History is literally littered with the wreckage of lies like, you need this particular gift, Christian, or you need this particular experience, or you need to have this particular feeling. You need hands laid on you. You need prayers said for you. You need signs manifested in you. The list goes on endlessly about these so-called extras you need. And let me tell you, friends, Satan can make it sound very attractive. He dresses it up with all sorts of pseudo-biblical language. You've probably heard it. 
He says that you will, you need to be baptized with the Spirit. Let me just pause here. Do you know that being baptized with the Spirit is just simply being born again, being made a Christian by the power of God's Spirit? It's not some extra thing after that. But there are people all around the world who've fallen for it. You need to be baptized by the Spirit. You need to be slain by the Spirit. Is also still wafting through the corridors. You need to be warmed by the fire of the Spirit. You need to be equipped by the unction of the Spirit. People will still rave about fuller, fuller life, holier life, higher life, inner life, powerful life, and it just doesn't stop. But I'm here to tell you one thing that will encourage you. In fact, my dear friends, all you need is Christian life. All you need is life in Christ. You are complete in Christ. You have not missed out on a single blessing. Ephesians 1 puts it very nicely. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What that means is that God has nothing more to give you. You've got every one of them in Christ. There's nothing you're missing out on, nothing. God has no more to give. What about Romans 8.32? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You are complete in Christ. The Bible echoes that truth over and over again. So as I pondered how would I end this book, what chapter would I put in at the end, I chose Romans 8 the ones that Vaughan just read for us particularly, verse 33 and 37. So you see them here again now, Romans 8, 33 and 37. Notice how Paul puts it, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding or praying for us. Well, then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's been well said that this is the Apostle Paul in his boldest mood. That's This is Paul really saying it out boldly. He is absolutely emphatic that believers are complete in Christ. There's absolutely nothing that can separate a Christian from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So notice how Paul there, he hurls this very provocative Christian out to the, a question out to the whole world. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Why does Paul throw that question out? Then he makes a massive statement. I love this one. He says that God's people are more than conquerors. You think about that, it's a very big call. It means that Christians, we make conquerors look like losers. You're more than a conqueror. That's pretty bold language. Why does Paul say that? What's his warrant for such boldness? Answer, it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of who he is and what he does on our behalf. And we are complete in Christ because of four truths that you notice in that text. I'm going to take them out and just say a bit more about each of the four briefly. But the four truths, the four facts are these. We are complete because of Christ crucified. Secondly, because of Christ risen. Thirdly, because of Christ exalted. And fourthly, because of Christ interceding. Let's take that first one. Because of Christ crucified. Notice what the text says. It is Christ Jesus who died. 
It's so easy to say that. But Christian friends, just think about how enormous that is. The massive reality there. It's God incarnate who died for you. It's God in the flesh who died for me and died for you. Get on to that. It's all the fullness of deity. Colossians 2 says Jesus is all the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. That's who died for us. Who is the one on that cross? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He died for us. He stood in our place as our substitute at the hour of judgment. He took our guilty reputation. He bore our guilt and he paid our penalty. Remember how the Bible puts it? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised and crushed for our iniquities. He drank our bitter cup. And what's the outcome of all that? Don't you just love it? Christ's final word. It is finished. It is finished. The work is done. The transaction is complete eternally. There is no way Christ's people can or ever will lack anything. God incarnate has died to purchase your eternal welfare, Christian friends. There is no possibility that he failed. I find it incredible. No other argument is needed. But you notice that there are other arguments given here, three of them in fact. So let's take the second one. Not only because of Christ crucified are we complete, but now secondly because of Christ risen. Notice how Paul puts it. It is Jesus Christ who died more than that who was raised to life. Now you might be wondering, how does the resurrection of Christ add weight to what's already a strong argument? Well, I'll help you with that. We need to recall the Old Testament picture of Calvary. Yes, Christ died at Calvary, but there is an Old Testament picture of that long before it happened. It was called, for any of you who have ever heard the Hebrew phrase, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement. The work of Israel's high priest, on Yom Kippur was done out of sight just one day a year. You remember the high priest went in behind the curtain. He went into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, where no other man could ever go, no mere man. But once a year, the high priest went on behalf of all Israel, all God's people. And there he took with him some blood from an innocent lamb that had been slaughtered previously. He took it and he sprinkled it on God's, on this emblem thing on the table called the mercy seat. He offered a sacrifice to God for the forgiveness of Israel's sins. Ah, but it was all hidden from human eyes. This is the critical point. For those who are waiting outside, the big question in their mind was, would God accept that sacrifice? Would God accept the substitution of innocent blood on behalf of guilty people? And in fact, you could ask the question more strongly, why should God do that? Why should a lamb's blood pay for my sins? It's a big question. Would God, or would God destroy that high priest? Would he destroy that representative of us guilty people? Because the high priest is not perfect either. He's a sinner, just like we are. So this was in the mind of the people. And the answer, of course, was seen at last when he came back out from behind the curtain and the high priest came out from behind the curtain. And you can probably understand, all of the Israelites gathered there, started to sing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What a great belief. So by accepting the high priest's sacrifice, God was showing that he's forgiving his people, represented by the high priest. But now here's the point. But all that which took place every year, one day a year on Yom Kippur, it's only 
a shadowy picture of what happened at Calvary. It points to Christ. Do you remember that the priestly work of Christ was also done out of sight? It was hidden from men. When people stand around the cross at Calvary, what do they see? They look up, they see a dying man on a cross. But in reality, it was Yom Kippur in its final form. Calvary was the great high priest shedding innocent blood on the mercy seat. And you'll notice Hebrews 9 says exactly that. Christ entered the most holy place, that is, in behind the curtain, out of sight. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So Christ's resurrection is analogous to the high priest coming out behind the curtain. He's come back alive from Yom Kippur. And so it proves that God has accepted his sacrifice and he's forgiven all his people. My dear friends, get on to the enormity of this truth. It means this, and I'm going to spell it out this way for you. You'll see on the next slide. What does all that mean? It means, Christians, you are just as acceptable to God as Jesus is. We really have to get this clear. Your standing with God is based on all his perfections. You are clothed with all his merits. You and I need to recall this. Uh, Does anybody here ever have difficult times? I don't believe I'm the only one. I think we all do. I know we all do. But especially in difficult times, we need this perspective. So we need to be able to sing again the great old hymn. You know the words, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What a useless hymn if it's not true that you're completing Christ. But we are completing Christ. Therefore, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We need to recall that. Don't you like how the rest of the hymn goes on? His oath, you know the words, folks, come on, help me. His oath, his covenant and blood are my defense against the flood. When earthly hopes are swept away, he will uphold me in that day. You are completing Christ. So every believer needs to hang on to that. These things... uh, these truths, maybe they're, they're out of sight from time to time, but they must never be out of mind. That's the true Christian perspective. So there's a couple of reasons why we're complete in Christ, because he was crucified, he's risen, and now look at the third reason Paul gives in the, in the passage. Because of Christ exalted, notice his words, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. Jesus is at the right hand of God in heaven, as our representative. So our place there is absolutely guaranteed in him. Now, again, let me spell this out with my own words. I'll put it to you this way, folks. The reason no one can bring any charge against a Christian is that they must first charge Christ in our place. To condemn me or condemn you, any whoever Christians you are, To condemn any Christian, a charge must first condemn the one who sits at God's right hand as my defender, my champion, my advocate, and the propitiation for my sins. The only way I can be charged is if Christ has left one of my sins not paid for. That's what it means to be complete in Christ. And so I've got a few big questions here. Has Jesus neglected to pay for all my debts? Big question. Did he not finish drinking that bitter cup for me? When he cried out, ultimately, as he gave up his spirit, when he cried out, it is finished, was that false? 
Is the Holy Spirit wrong to say that Jesus, and you know the Bible verse, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, to the uttermost, not nearly, to the uttermost, everybody who comes to God through him. I hope you can sense the answers here, friends. How futile for anybody to try and prosecute a case before God, implying that his son hasn't done enough for all the sins of all us believers, wherever we are. Who will bring a charge against God's chosen one, says Paul? Who will advertise such folly? And then there's one more reason given to explain why Christ is sufficient and why we're complete in Christ. Because of Christ interceding. That's the fourth reason. Because of Christ interceding. Notice what Paul says. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God and he's not silent and is also interceding for us. Now, let me just, I'll just be candid and I'll confess this. You might think this is unusual. I've been a Presbyterian minister for most of my life and my prayer life is sometimes very weak. I'll be, I'll be honest. I doubt that I'm the only one and even when I do pray, it's short and to the point. The point of this text is if, even if no one else prays for us, Christ does. He's at God's right hand. What for? To intercede for us. That is to pray for us. Wow. You know, even this morning before we'd, I hop in the car to drive up here to meet with you folks, I did pray briefly, and it suddenly hit me. My prayers are so pathetic, but Christ is at God's right hand praying for me. <laughs> I could feel the tears coming. I'm sure you know what I'm saying. Even if no one thinks about us, Christ does. Even if our prayers are rare and feeble, what does the text say? Christ ever lives to pray for us. That is a totally profound picture, isn't it? What a difference that makes as we handle day-by-day life. What does Christ's intercession mean anyway? Well, let me spell that out too. Christ's prayer, Christ's intercession means he constantly applies his merits to our account. You know he's the king of kings and he constantly seeks our welfare and the will of God the Father is perfectly in line with the will of the king of kings. And the power of the Holy Spirit will certainly bring all of that to pass. The Bible tells us that over and over again. And by the way, friends, remember Christ's prayers are far superior to those of us mere humans, aren't they? When we pray, we come to God cap in hand and we ask for what we don't deserve. Isn't that true? When Christ prays, he doesn't come from a distance cap in hand. He asks for what he does deserve. He paid the price for all our iniquity. And he deserves his prayers to be answered. His prayers don't rely on sheer grace. Just think about that. That's true. All our prayers rely on sheer grace. He asks for what he deserves because he's earned it. He asks for what is due. And what is that? It's our forgiveness. Jesus has paid for the cancellation of our sins. And so his prayers, his intercessions, demand and command that we get our just desserts in him, that we get all that he's earned for us, and we will. Don't you love the Old Testament verse that says about about Christ that he will be fully satisfied? He will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He has seen the agonies his soul went for to bless us, and he'll be happy, he'll be satisfied, we will be blessed, and his prayers will achieve it. So Christians... Let me make an understatement. I hope you can sense it. You are complete in Christ. By his life and death, he has earned every spiritual blessing for you. 
And our possession of that is absolutely guaranteed by his resurrection to God's right hand. Just like the priest come out from behind the curtain, God's accepted him. And what he did for us, accepted in heaven. So never forget it. Never, never forget this truth of the gospel. And if you're a Christian, you should have the same bold confidence as Paul. You are more than a conqueror. Conquerors are losers by comparison to Christians. And you can throw down the same gauntlet. Throw the same gauntlet down as Paul did with the same confidence. Who shall charge me? Who shall condemn me? Who shall bring me unstuck? And make the who as wide as the universe, friends. Who among men, who among angels, who among devils will bring me unstuck if I have Christ as my champion? And make it as as impersonal as you like. Make it which thing? Which painful experience can condemn me or undo me? Which unpleasant event can ruin me? Which awful calamity? Well, now let me share this as I nearly close now. We don't have to work out the answer. Paul gives it to us explicitly. Look at these words in Romans 8, 35 and following. Will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, when any of these things condemn us, none of them, says Paul, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, or any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If ever a text says you're complete in Christ, that one says it pretty well, I reckon. You are complete in Christ. Look, it's so easy for God's people... That concludes us. It's so easy for us to lose perspective when life gets unpleasant and it can get unpleasant and our expectations and plans tend to fall to pieces. Isn't it true? We tend to fall to pieces with it. We're just weak humans. We lose touch with true hope. Now, we don't lose salvation, praise God, but we lose the comfort and the joy of that salvation of being confident of Christ's everlasting arms around us. So we need to come back to the total sufficiency of Christ both here and now as well as for eternity. We need to understand with Paul when he said, for me to live is Christ. Let me come to a conclusion. I started off saying to you I didn't know what was the last most important thing to put at the end of this book, Great Gospel Issues. I stand by what I told you then. The most important issue is, and I need to stand firm on it, is you are complete in Christ. Paul stressed that to the Colossian church, and that's the verse I'll leave with you as I stop. It's a similar text to Romans 8. Colossians chapter 2, Paul said the same thing. See to it, as he wrote to the Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Pause. There's all those isms I told you about. Legalism, pietism, fanaticism of any sort. See that no one takes you captive of all these empty things according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, but he doesn't put a full stop there. That's fantastic so far, but what's his last little bit? All all the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily, and in him you have been made complete. 
So it's not just one or two or even 20 or 30 places the Bible says you're complete in Christ. It is a, a statement that it makes over and over and over again. My dear friends, hang in with it. Hang in with it. And thank God for his wonderful word. Let me just have bow in short prayer with you. Father, the gospel is an amazing truth. The work of Christ on our behalf is beyond description. And we thank you for the way that your word does describe it. And we've had time to think a little bit this morning about it in, in Romans and other places. Receive our thanks, Lord. Strengthen us when we are weak. And may we never lose sight of Christ, what he is for us. Crucified for us risen for us, interceding for us, and coming again for us. And we're complete in him. Thank you for this truth in Jesus' name. Amen.